there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. My grandmother lived a life devoted to Jesus, and today her talks have been made available in their original form. So you too can be built up through the insights and mysteries God revealed to her throughout her ministry. Now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Elliot. When I do a question and answer period, which I very much enjoy doing, I often offend people because I give a very brief and maybe seemingly brusque answer. I do my best to give a brief answer so that I can get all through all the questions. I also try to give a biblical answer. If I can't give a biblical answer, I may just give an Elizabeth Elliot opinion, which is worth next to nothing. You can discard that. I would hope that if I give you a biblical answer, you would be much slower to discard it than you would my opinions. But please don't feel that I've given you the back of my hand if I, if I haven't spelled out all the ifs, ands, and buts that you had in your mind. First question, suppose you realize that you have already failed a very important test. May I see the hands of those of you who have not failed a very important <laughs> test? We fail, don't we? Daily. And failed God's will for your life. Well, I don't think you can know that you failed God's will for your life. You may be convinced that it was a different course that you were supposed to choose. And the truth is that God is still in charge of everything. And the Bible tells me that he can restore the years that the locust hath eaten. And I hang on to that. You can start today following the will of God. The past belongs to God. It does not belong to you. There is nothing you can do about it now except repent about whatever needs to be repented of. Make the apologies to all the people that you owe apologies to, and from this day forward, start being obedient to God. What is three on the basic rules for raising children? You didn't give it. Some of us failed on one and two. <laughs> uh, I think I did give it, but I probably didn't give it in, in order that was clear enough for you to take down. The first thing is to get the child's attention and speak his name. That's very important. It's, it's unfair to a child if you're over here at the sink and you say, put that down, and he's not paying any attention to you, and you haven't turned around and looked at him and gotten his attention. So it's very important to get his attention and speak his name. And the second thing, maintain a normal tone of voice. Third, do not repeat the command. And fourth, use punishment when he doesn't obey immediately. And the child needs to learn right at the beginning that you are in charge and that when he disobeys, he is choosing a spanking. That's what my dear friend Barb Tompkins taught her children. When the spanking was about to be administered, she would look them straight in the eye and say, Katie dear, I see that you have chosen a spanking. Whereupon Katie obediently bends over and gets the spanking and is then taken on her mama's lap and told that she's loved and all the rest of it. What did you do with the book lists that you bought? The book lists? Yes, the table book lists that you bought from the house. You didn't bring any. I don't know what you mean, but... The autocrats. 
what everything I brought from the house is in my briefcase, which is in, in that room there. Please address how it is God's love and allowance for things to happen, such as incest on the witness or the witnessing of a mother's batterment by innocent children. There's no way that I can go on and address every kind of evil that happens in the world. Did you ever stop to think about the fact that because God's will was carried out in the birth of Jesus, thousands of baby boys were murdered? Think about that. I don't know about thousands, but hundreds, presumably, of baby boys were murdered by Herod because he thought he could get rid of the king of the Jews that way. The Bible is full of mystery. Life is full of mystery. I'm not saying that God condones any of this. He hates sin. Hated it so much that he gave his life to save us. Do you believe God is still sovereign in our lives before salvation in reference to abuse, sexual, physical that were suffered? Yes, I most emphatically do. And I have a wonderful, it's almost a book that was recently sent to me by a woman who suffered horrible physical, sexual abuse throughout her childhood. And she has a ringing testimony to the grace of God now. She looks back and, and realizes that, that God looks on when that's happening. And the Psalms are filled with the cries of the psalmist saying, Lord, how long can you watch this injustice? Why don't you do something? And Job said the same. It's, it's an age-old question. You'll never get an answer that's going to intellectually satisfy you from Elizabeth Elliot, and I don't think you're going to get it from anybody else. My second husband was a theologian and a philosopher, and he used to say that is the question of the ages, and we cannot answer it intellectually. The answer to all our troubles and questions is Jesus Christ himself. I commend to you Jesus Christ. You don't need the answers other than him. And here's another one. It's hard to grasp something like child sexual abuse is coming through the loving permission of God. That's what my family is dealing with and I'm an adult survivor. It seems to take on new meaning when it hits your own family. How is that God's loving permission? I can't answer the why or the how. I can't answer the how either. The Bible's given us a lot of whys. How important do you think it is for a young person to attend a Christian college? It can be very dangerous for a young person to attend a Christian college because the expectations are generally pretty high. You expect that you're going to be with Christians and you find out that a lot of awful things are going on on Christian college campuses. That is certainly the truth. And I've visited a good many of them and I hear dreadful things. In fact, I think it was Josh McDowell that took a survey of attitudes towards sex on Christian college campuses and the results turned out to be exactly the same as they were on secular college campuses. So my warning would be to anybody who's going to send a child to a Christian college, remember these people are sinners and it's not going to be a little taste of heaven necessarily. Be, be forewarned so that you won't be shattered. Since we grow by suffering, well, I should also add to that, the, the best thing that I got out of going to a Christian college was lifetime friends and the example of some very godly people on the faculty and staff. Christian colleges certainly are supposed to have godly people on the faculty and staff. They are the important influence 
don't worry about the kids that come in drunk into the dormitory and have boys into their rooms and stuff. Since we grow by suffering, do we always live wondering when the next blow will hit? <laughs> you might. Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Most times when I suffer, I don't have a great sense of peace. I have to work through feelings of anger towards God. Anger towards God, I'm sure that a lot of people feel that, but if you really believe he loves you, there really isn't any need to be angry at God. Usually the suffering comes through some sinner or through circumstances that are beyond anybody's control other than God's. I fight against bitterness. My emotions seem to overwhelm. Now I know how I know I should feel. How do you handle these unwanted emotions? Let me suggest that you do just what I suggested about offering and accepting the suffering. Get down on your knees and take this anger or whatever the uncontrollable emotion is and put it as literally as you can in your hands and just through this physical act I have found this very helpful. Sorrow, loneliness, pain, the upset that I felt when my daughter told me she was pregnant with number five. I was very upset about that. Not because I don't love big families but because my heart went out to my daughter and I thought the poor girl, she's homeschooling, she's got all she can possibly handle now and I realized it was absolutely none of my business and I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, you know the sinful thoughts that are going through my mind here. I want to tell my son-in-law to sleep out in the backyard for the next couple of years. And I just take this and I say, Lord, I offer it to you. Please take it. And every time that feeling or that anger comes back again, do the same thing over again. The pain of pending divorce. Please speak of this great pain so prevalent now. How can I? I've never been divorced. I've told you everything I know. I mean, I, the best I can do of all that's in a book, but of course I can't begin to cover in two hours. I have problems seeing good to come out of sinful situations. And again and again. In your novel, No Graven Image, the imagery of the condor plays an important role. Could you briefly discuss the significance of Margaret Sparhawk's surname and any relationship it might have to the imagery of the condor? Her surname has nothing to do with anything except that I had a great aunt whose last name was Sparhawk, so that's why I gave her that name. I just liked it. And there is no significance whatsoever in the imagery of the condor. People who are great students of literature can find all sorts of imagery that the author doesn't know anything about. <laughs> um, how should one deal with this, believing that perhaps she missed God's will in the person she married? The one she thinks was God's will has recently married. Well, I would say thank God for that, that he has recently married. Otherwise, you'd be looking at him with one eye and your husband with the other eye. Forget about him. Is, now, here's an interesting question. Is your present husband God's will? I assume that this person is asking me if I think her present husband is God's will. And I would say most emphatically, if you are married, your husband is God's will for you now. I don't care what the circumstances were. This is where you have to deal with God and walk as a Christian. 
from here on in. You have to love your husband, you have to submit to your husband, you have to do all the things that a wife is supposed to do because he is your husband and he holds an office that God assigns to him, the office of head. It's not something you choose or something he earns, it's something that God confers on him. And so accept, whatever your present situation is, if it's marriage or singleness or anything else, accept this for today because it could change tomorrow, but God's in charge of that. Even though we know God's, God works all things for his good, why does it hurt so bad while we are suffering? Well, because we're suffering. <laughs> suffering hurts. But there are the testimonies of thousands that there is joy and peace in the midst. I read you the letter from the black lady who said she had never known such joy and peace as she did through the suffering of her husband in his stroke. Is it possible under God and his word that a relationship for my good and purpose in my life, especially there is, if there is unforgiveness on my side, but because of lots of things between us? It's a slightly confused line of thought there, but I'll do my best with it. I believe that a peace is in my heart that I must not have contact with this Christian again. It is always painful to me when I have. I don't know anything about the situation, but if there is unforgiveness on your side, then you must be obedient to God. And Jesus made that absolutely clear when he taught the disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, if I am going to receive from God the measure of forgiveness that I am willing to give to this person who has offended me in an unforgivable way, if that's all I'm going to expect God to do for me, I'm in big trouble. And in the verse after that, where Jesus had given them this prayer, he then explained it. He expounded on that by saying, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. So that's not Elizabeth Elliot talking. You must forgive the unforgivable. And that is a work of grace. But it's not something you have to work through. Do you remember the, the story that Corrie Ten Boom tells about how when she was speaking one time in Germany, years after her prison camp experience, she saw in the audience the guard who had been responsible for her sisters starving to death. And everything in her rose up in hatred against this man. And to her horror, when the meeting was over, she saw him coming down the aisle with hand outstretched. And she sent up an instant prayer to God. Lord, help me. And she said in that split second between my prayer and his reaching the front of the auditorium, she said, my hand shot out and it was in that willed physical act that God gave me the grace to forgive him. And she said, it has been a load off my mind ever since. You know, bitterness and resentment will destroy you. They are poisons and they will destroy everybody that ever comes in contact with you. You must unload that burden. When you have been hurt by your husband because he has raped, 
how can I trust any man again and not have resentment for them because I think that I can get hurt again? Well, she doesn't say if he's raped her or if he's raped somebody else. But you married a sinner. You must forgive him. And as for the fear that you can get hurt again, we can all get hurt again. We live in a fallen world. We are going to be hurt again, right? Where does our trust lie? It must lie in the Lord himself. He is my rock. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I could have hesitated to get married the second time because I didn't want to be hurt by the death of a second husband. And I was pretty sure I would be a widow a second time because my second husband was 18 years older than I. But I didn't expect it to happen nearly so soon. Jim and I had 27 months. Ad and I had four and a half years. Lars and I will have been married 14 years in December. I'm very grateful. But we can't go through life trying to save ourselves. Jesus said, if you, save, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And those who mocked Jesus on the cross spoke a very true word when they said he saved others himself. He could not save. And that's true of you and me. If I'm going to save others, if I am going to be broken bread and poured out wine, I cannot refuse the crushing and the grinding, whatever form it may take. It's for the life of the world. My suffering is for the sake of other people. Can you speak on submission for a Christian wife whose Christian husband has turned away from the church and is using the money she earns as well as his own in a foolish manner without taking such decisions to God and without coming to agreement with his wife and whose decisions have already led to loss of all real estate and insurance? No, I can't. You're going to have to ask God what to do about that. It's certainly a painful situation and it's not the first time I've heard about that. I know a young woman who's desperately trying to work her way through college. She's in her mid-twenties and her husband is an alcoholic and he doesn't like to work. So he sits at home and when she brings home her paycheck, he goes out and buys you-know-what. The past months have been filled with pain and suffering over the breakup with a man I love. We've had a roller coaster relationship, but this is the longest we've been apart. However, he has made subtle contact over the past two months. I do not know whether to respond, and if I do, how. I would not recommend that you respond to that man. I would just recommend that you get down on your knees and you put that man in your hands and say, Lord, here he is. I can't handle him. You can, and I will leave him with you. If God wants to bring him back in God's way, God can do that. But it doesn't sound to me like a very sound basis for a relationship. Any kind of a roller coaster before you're married, be sure will be exacerbated after. Now I want to leave you with the word of encouragement. Isaiah 50 verse 7 says, the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. God bless you.
I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today. And will keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Thank you.